Hey guys, and welcome back to Vent Specs. This is a supplemental for the ventilator podcast uh, where we go over different ventilator modes and different topics for separate ventilators. And uh, we kind of wanted to add this today as, as talk about SIMV Plus on the Hamilton T1. And Caleb, I'm going to kind of uh, kind of throw it to you and get you to kind of uh, start us off with that. Sure. So SIMV Plus, uh, one of the newer mo or one of the newer mo newer ventilators. I get it out in a minute for some reason. Today, I'm tongue tied. So one of the newer ventilators that's uh, been uh, in question with a lot of the modes is, is the T1. And so today, yes, talking about the SINB plus where it's volume targeted, mandatory breaths delivered by the ventilator. So it, these are triggered and based on a rate and a set tidal volume, but it also allows for the spontaneous breaths that is supported with pressure support also there too. Now, remember the first part of this is the adaptive pressure ventilation, which means that it's going to be looking at the, <clears throat> or using, uh, looking inside the chest and looking at the, uh, uh, the pressure inside the chest, but using the minimum values to achieve those set target tidal volumes there. Another way of looking at it is like a PRVC mode, uh, uh, uh in that respects. So that's why it's actually looking into the pressure or looking into outside the chest cavity, looking at side, uh, what's the, what's the minimum amount of pressure that I need to do or to, to achieve, to reach that target tidal volume, uh, that you're, that you're actually looking at there. So some of the questions, um, that we've gotten on these is, uh, you know, well, I have to document a, uh, plateau pressure or I have to look at a plateau pressure. Uh, how do I get the plateau pressures off of this one? Is there formulas for it? Uh, see the mode over here or sit when I go to my monitor value screen, I'm trying to look for it and it's not picking up on the monitor value screen. So these are some of the, uh, some of the questions that we can kind of go over today. But to give us a brief overview of it, I'm going to bring in the um, the specialist, the respiratory specialist here, which is Schaff, and let him kind of tell you a little bit more about this mode. And then my goal is to try to interpret from the nurse and the medics standpoint, mine and Jerome's, is to translate it back to them as to if there's anything that our uh, the way that we look at it may be a little bit different. Schaff. Yeah, so SIMV, I knew we were going to get to this SIMV mode at some point, your favorite mode. Uh, it's known as a weaning mode, and yes, that's true. We are not weaners on transport. Anyway, um, so SIMV plus, remember that you can target a volume or a pressure in that, as we discussed earlier. So when you're in SIMV mode, what that means that is the patient has the ability to take a spontaneous breath. And a lot of times, if you're coming up to a hospital ventilator and then SIMV mode, there's one extra thing you really need to know when you're asking for ventilator settings, right? So you look at the rate, the tidal volume, that's your minute volume. You also always, the under most underestimated uh, setting is the eye time. You want to have that. But you also want to know the PEEP, the FIO2. But in, in, in SIMV mode, you want to know what the pressure support breath is. And that's just to assist the patient to overcome airway resistance during their spontaneous breath. You don't want them just to be pulling themselves, pulling a breath in through that small ET tube, right? So you want to give them some sort of a boost breath, and that's where the pressure support comes in. So we know that. We have to put that in. Now, on the Hamilton SMV Plus, that will default 
to a P-Sync box is usually checked uh, on default. My suggestion is to leave that checked and go ahead and, and uh, let the machine do the work for you. And what that does is that goes ahead and it determines what that patient wants based on the flow sensor. And it'll deliver that boost breath for him. Uh, if you want to uncheck it and match your um, pressure support that they're on in the uh, on the on the sending facility, um, if on the sending facility, you just go ahead and match whatever the pressure support is. You're probably going to have to ask the RT or the nurse, hey, you know, because that setting's not always up front, so you'd have to dig that out. And typical settings for pressure support are you know, five to 10 to 15, which what you want to look at essentially is what is the exhale tidal volume on that spontaneous breath. But for all intents and purposes, when you're doing a transport, let's try to keep things simple if we could. And just, just if the P-Sync box is checked, just go ahead and, and leave it checked and, and that'll just take care of what the patient needs. Okay. The machine will do the work for you. Um, the, the, the other things, the other settings in there that we should talk about is uh, P-Ramp. And uh, on P-Ramp, what that means is that's we can taper or adjust the initial first milliseconds of that flow going in. We can taper it to go in really fast or really slow. It defaults usually at 100 milliseconds. Some machines I've seen at 70 milliseconds. And you could leave it at the default. I, I tweak it when I need to for patient comfort. If somebody's air hungry. I would drop that P ramp to zero. And that means the flow is going to go in as fast as it can. You can't adjust it any faster. If you walk it back further towards like uh, 150 or 200 milliseconds, it slows that flow down for that initial blast of breath that's going in. It's the same um, function as what we might know from the other uh, ventilators as rise time, where on the LTV and the Revell, it defaults at four for an adult, five for a... Uh, um, pediatric patient, those are just numbers. They, they put it somewhere in the middle and then you could tweak it lower to go in faster or tweak it back further to a higher number to go in slower. So just like, and if you know what rise time means, it's the same thing, P-ramp. All right. And, and the less time you put on the P-ramp, if you go to zero, it goes in quicker. And that, that I use more for the air hungry patient on uh, non-invasive ventilation. I, I use that a lot on BiPAP, right? Just for comfort. And because the patient's more awake. And then the other thing that we need to talk about in the pressure and the pressure support, the pressure delivery breath and the pressure support breath is the ETS, the expiratory trigger sensitivity. Now this gets a little trickier to, to explain. So just bear with me. I would leave it at the default. Usually at 40% is where it defaults. And if you want to liken it to something, it is the, um, it is the uh, time, uh, flow termination on the LTV and the, uh, on the Revell, it's the flow term it's called where you would have to go and turn that feature on and it defaults at 40% on it, a uh, 25% on the, on the LTV. So anyway, back to ETS, I would leave it at the default, but if what it does, its function is that it determines when the inspiratory flow cycles out. Remember with pressure support, there's no eye time, right? So, if you wanted to to stop that flow quicker, you would go ahead and take that ETS and bring it more towards 80. I think it defaults at 80%. No, excuse me, it defaults at 40 and it goes out to 80. 
right? You're going to lose some of your tidal volume on that because you're ending the inspiratory phase quicker with the expiratory trigger sensitivity. If you want more tidal volume, you put it closer to 10%, but then the patient, if they're on the BiPAP, if it's a, uh, a non-invasive patient, they feel like they can't exhale. They're still getting that flow when they want to exhale. They're still getting the flow pushed in. Again, I would leave it at, at the default 40%. I just want to bring to your attention, it's a fine-tuning adjustment. Both of them, P-RAMP and ETS, is a fine-tuning adjustment to taper the flow as it goes in and as it's going out when it cycles into the expiratory to, uh, inspiratory to expiratory phase. So it's a really cool feature if you know how to use it. If you're just doing a scoop and go uh, scene call, uh, just leave the things on the default. You're not going to get have the time to do that fine-tuning tweaking. But if you have somebody, you have a longer transport and they're not really doing well, you might you can adjust those and, and check and see if they're more comfortable uh, and more synchronous with the ventilator. Uh, and definitely, I always use these if I'm doing non-invasive with uh, BiPAP CPAP. Okay, so... Let me let me ask a couple of questions on this one. So let's talk about the P-Sync real quick on this one, Shaw, if you don't care. So I know that you kind of explained it just a little bit, but for for us, how would you relate this to another event that you might have been using? How does this uh, how does this affect pressure support when you're actually setting on your patient and then when to keep this checked on and checked off uh, or just leave it on? You know, it, I guess that's what I'm trying to ask now. Yeah, I, I suggested earlier for uh, – I would always leave it on uh, just because it's just more comfortable for the patient. It's based on the uh, need for the patient on the flow sensor. Remember, that flow sensor on that Hamilton is right there at the ET tube, right? Right. So it's 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 sensing what that patient needs, okay? Um, so I, I would just leave it where it is. It's basing it on what volume or pressure that is being delivered, and it's – it's timing it for the patient's need. So is it when the sensor in the software starts to see that the patient is almost done with inhaling, it cuts off, right? It, it'll just say, okay, we're going to cycle into the expiratory phase at this point on the okay. spontaneous breath. Yeah. Okay. All right. And the next thing is the ETS. So could this also be looked down as another ventilator on the cycle percentage? Yeah, that's what it's okay. doing. It's, it's, okay. It's flow term as far as like the LTV and the uh, Revell, but um, yeah, it, it, the terminology gets so confusing, and I feel right. I feel so, I mean, even I have to kind of weed through it all and, and check it out and see what it does and how it interacts with the patient. But it's so confusing. All, all you have to think about is leave it at the default. The, again, back to I use that tweakability more so when I'm using non-invasive because the patient's more alert, uh, you know, more responsive to the ventilator. But essentially what that does is it terminates the flow, right, at a certain percentage that you want it to. So if the patient says, I can't exhale, I can't exhale, you would have that inspiratory phase end quicker. Remember, in pressure support, there's no eye time adjustment. It doesn't cycle out into the expiratory phase from from one second or whatever you set that eye time at, right? So it's just it's more of a comfort tweakability than, than anything else. Okay. And then on the rise time and versus the P ramp, because like you said, again, terminologies is, is looking at this and understanding that, yes, you know, if we're increasing the rise time, we're driving the pressure in uh, slower over the time, extending the time period. And the same thing for the mill, uh, for the P ramp on this one, because it's the, in the milliseconds. Um, is there anything else more that we need to discuss on the P ramp on this one? Uh, I know that we're, you know, 
explain it now in, in milliseconds, uh, looking at it, but is there anything else that y'all can think about? Yeah. If, if, if you see on the pressure tracing, like on the top of the, um, typically you'll have the airway pressure up on the screen on the Hamilton. And this is what makes this ventilator so fantastic is because I have visuals. If you see a spike where, where there's a blip, like a little spike on that initial breath going in when it first gets in there, that means the air is going in too fast, right? And the PIP is rising. It doesn't have to be that high. It's, it's hitting a small ET tube or a lot of airway resistance in the patient. Typically what I do when I recognize that spike is I'll go to the P ramp and I'll walk it out a little further, meaning I could tweak how fast that flow is going in. Obviously, with that spike visual, I, I can taper that flow going in just a little bit slower so I don't have that spike, right? That added pressure into the circuit that's not needed that's creating more turbulent flow. It's interfering with the laminar flow. So um, that's one of the tweak abilities that I do. And that's obvious. I mean, you, if you're doing uh, any kind of um, lab work with, with your uh, ventilator and test lungs, you could you could mimic that very easily and, and then just play with the P-ramp and see how it affects uh, the way that initial flow is thrown in. So I, I recommend people do that just so they get familiar with using it. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Um I don't know, Jerome, what else we got to, oh, uh, plateau pressures. Uh, that's what I wanted to talk about next on this one. So yes, there's complex, uh, formulas, um, that you can actually look at and it entails trying to figure out your driving pressure first, which is your VTE divided by your C stat over here. Once you get that, then you do your driving pressure plus your peep, and that would give you a ballpark estimate for your plateau. I know that's a lot of formulas, uh, uh, to, to, to understand and also to kind of get your plateau pressures, but also understand is that you're, you're limiting the pressure inside the chest cavity on this one. So you can look at that at being very close to your plateaus. It, we always talk about book purposes uh, versus in real world transport. You're not necessarily going to be doing these formulas in real world world transport but once you get back and you have to you know maybe for documentation standards or something else or maybe they're trying to look at the plateau pressures um is that a good formula uh to look at uh shelf am i off on that formula or because i think that's the one that they actually recommend from that from the hamilton yeah sure it is um the, the problem with the the Hamilton is it doesn't allow for an inspiratory expiratory hole. So it's using calculations based on what you just said, the, the uh, static compliance and all that. It will give you a static compliance right. um, measurements straight up. But when you go to look at the P plateau pressure in monitored window three, it's usually double dashed um, because there's no inspiratory hole. So people, people, and then people say, well, there's an inspiratory hold if I hit the manual breath button. Well, that's not an inspiratory hold. That's a manual breath. Um, so people get uh, twisted up with all that. Um, on the mothership, the G5 and all the other big Hamiltons in the hospital, you could do an inspiratory expiratory hold. But remember, um, the mode that you're in on a Hamilton, it's, it's always a decelerating flow, is PRVC, right? So it's a pressure-delivered breath targeting volume so it's right, not going right. to be able to to get the actual plateau okay. pressure anyway so what i like to teach is to pay attention 
to the peak instillatory pressure. If you're in volume ventilation, if you see that trending upwards, then you inter- need to intervene with the patient. Now, don't get me wrong. Plateau pressures are important to understand, especially if you're a patient with uh, severe ARDS, you want to keep that below 30. So I'm not minimizing the plateau pressure, but in the transport arena, <clears throat> it's it's very, very important to trend the peak instillatory pressure. If you see that rising, then you need to intervene with the patient, whether it be suction or do you dope and, you know, maybe bronchodilate, reposition the patient, things like that. But you're not going to change the compliance much on a transport. You will change the airway resistance, which is causing the PIP to go up. That's just right. my experience. So without okay. getting too deep into the weeds, I'm, I'm a big teacher of watch the PIP in volume ventilation or in pressure ventilation, watch the exhale tidal volume because that's going to be an indication of changing conditions within that lung that you may be able to intervene and correct. But the yeah, plateau we just don't pressure, have them that long, yes, not, into, yeah, not in the no, transport world. No. Right. Right. So again, I just want to be clear, I, you know, because I work in the ICUs too and, and in the ER, plateau pressures are important, right? But uh, if you don't have the capability to measure it, because a true volume breath with a square waveform the ventilator would have an inspiratory hold like the LTV, the Ravel, the Zoll, that it allows for these inspiratory holds to measure a true plateau pressure. And then the machine will calculate static compliance from that, right? And Delta P and all that. Um, this machine doesn't because it's delivering a pressure regulated volume control breath, the APV, uh, S, a CMV plus or whatever you want to call it. It's truly a PRVC breath in, in my opinion. So, All right. So, Talk to me about the alarm limitations on this one. Um, maybe I'm not necessarily getting my my tidal volumes that I'm wanting to try to achieve. What could possibly be going on um, inside the ventilator? Is my alarms going to be dealing with something like that or restricting it? Or how about that? Yeah, with with the Hamilton in particular, um, it has a on the high pressure alarm and has a 10 centimeter buffer um, above whatever the PIP is. So, for example. If you set your high pressure alarm in volume ventilation, remember, right? In, in volume ventilation, if you set your high pressure alarm at thirty-five, for example, and your PIP is twenty-five, and your volume is five hundred, let's say, and something changes within the lung, and the machine says, "Well, I have to give a tidal volume of five hundred, but I need to go higher up on my PIP to get that volume." It will not allow the machine to go above the 25 because the, the alarm system has a 10 centimeter buffer. So if you set it at 35, there's that 10 centimeter buffer. And I've gotten calls, multiple calls, like, I'm not reaching my tidal volume. I'm not reaching my tidal. Well, what's your high pressure alarm set at and what's your PIP? That is why. So typically, you know, I tell people you could set your high pressure alarm at 40. Um, sometimes in the hospital, I'll set it at 50 on some sicker patients. Uh, we typically teach, and, and the interesting thing is we teach, set your high pressure alarm 10 above resting PIP, right? That's what we've been teaching for years. It's like, that's a good, your baseline PIP, let's say your tidal volume is 500 and your PIP is 20, set your PIP at 30, or your high pressure alarm at 30. Well, that's dangerous with the Hamilton because it won't go above that at all. It won't go above that 20 if you set it at 30. So I've been re- reteaching because of the Hamilton has that 10 centimeter buffer. It's important to understand that. Um, and in pressure ventilation, obviously, you know, you have to set it 10 above to begin with anyway, because it won't, it won't reach that pressure that you set in. Um, so yeah, that's a little, little, uh, tweak that 
isn't really talked about when we put these vents into service. And I've gotten multiple phone calls when people are out on the road. I'm not, you know, I got a title. I'm a 350. I'm trying to get 500 and my pip's not going above whatever, 22. And I'm asking what their high pressure alarm is set at. So uh, I, I would set my high pressure alarm at 40 would be a safe place. This way your pip won't go above 30. But if you have a patient that needs the pip, to be higher because that's the condition of the lung, uh, you know, kyphoscoliosis or some fibrosis or some kind of disease, a restrictive or obstructive disease that's causing the high PIP. It is what it is. And if you're not reaching that volume, it's probably because your high pressure alarm is set too close. I, I think that's a good point to bring out. I really do. Uh, something I definitely did not know. So, well, I know on some of the other ventilators that we've had or that I've worked on before is it, it doesn't function exactly that same way, but your alarm limitations that you're setting there uh, it can potentially limit that. But the unfortunate thing is, is the screens are not big enough to where you can actually see uh, or maybe you don't even have a monitoring screen that actually is, is uh, allows you to actually see it or alarm para- uh, parameter to actually go in there and, and know that. Maybe, uh, you know, my, my pips are getting increasing, my volume's actually going down. And that's the reason why my, you know, sats and stuff are actually starting to trend down is you have to kind of think about, oh boy, yeah, there's a whole lot more to this equation here. So understanding those when we're rolling them out, because again, it's three people that's going over, you know, the ventilator. This is not exactly 100%, um, you know, what I'm sure that Hamilton would actually be teaching, but I'd say it's pretty close to it. So. So if you it, had something. Yeah, it gets back to exactly what we talked about in the earlier podcast is you need to know your machine like the engineers that built it. And, and I can't <clears> stress <throat> that enough, man. And this is a sophisticated machine that if you're going to run it and you're going to be responsible for managing a patient on the ventilator, <laughs> you want to know the machine, right? When you buy a car, you want to know a lot about that car. You need to know more about this, including the alarms and, and all the sophisticated uh, adjustments that are attached to this machine. And, and it's your responsibility. You know, it's well, not the educator's responsibility. It's yours to learn about it and get a test lung and, and ask questions and, and contact, you know, have, have phone numbers to, to call people and ask questions. Caleb does it all the time. <laughs> yes, I do. That's the way my brain works. Like I said, if I don't know, I'm going to find out the answer somewhere. You and know, that's a good thing. Some people would always ask about the, you know, SIMV, not not necessarily on the Hamilton, but, you know, where does it, where does it trigger that next breath? Where does it resynchronize? And my brain has to look at 0. 0.8, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.08, 0. 0.06, or, you know, it has to have time constants, you know, so I get it. I get it. I'm that person. I'll be that person. I'm good with being that person. So, well, you know, even looking at it, uh, Caleb, you being that person that needs to know the 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 times and 0. 0.6, 0. 0.68, uh, whatever you're looking at right there. I also look at it if if I were the patient on the other end of it or if I'm standing there looking at one of my family members on the other end of it as well is I tend to want to make sure that I know that piece of equipment, because if if someone is going to be putting that piece of equipment on me or if someone's going to be putting that piece of equipment on one of my family members, I I want to know about it. And, and I may have questions for them as well. So what that does is that kind of puts me into the, the frame of mind that, yes, like Shaw said, know your equipment and you possibly even need to know it better than what the ones that taught you. Uh, that piece of equipment, because you're going to be 
meeting these people at some of the worst times of their lives, and you're going to be placing them on this piece of equipment, and you need to know how to operate it. That's my pet peeve for the day. I'm going to step off my soapbox now. Nope. I get it. I think that's a... I think it's a, for the vent specs podcast for the APV SIMV plus mode. I think that's a pretty good starting point. Yes, there's some other intricacies in, involved in it, and we can kind of go with case management later on at a later date. But I think for this one, this little nugget, I, th- I think it's a pretty good stopping point. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think, I think the, so. I think the good news is with this particular ventilator is that no matter really what you do, the expiratory valve yields the spontaneous breathing. These patients will be comfortable. All right. It doesn't, don't try to complicate it, right? Just try the default settings, the, the tweakability settings. And if you have to tweak it, fine. That's why you should know what they're, what they do and, and how to tweak them. But in the meantime, I believe that you're going to just absolutely love how this patient responds to this vent in most cases. So I, I've never seen a transport ventilator so comfortable for, um, any any patient good deal awesome awesome well it seems to be like this is uh all the time we have left for this uh supplemental version of uh the ventilator podcast uh we we thank you guys for listening to us uh we thank you guys for listening to our event specs uh portion of this um as i said earlier guys we really do appreciate you coming in and sending us emails and talking to us, sending us war stories, critical care, triad at outlook.com. Uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button, like button, uh, wherever you get your podcast. So you don't miss any episodes and until later guys, we'll, um, we'll see you guys later. Hope you guys have a great day. Thanks. You too. All right. Thank you. The information provided in this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for medical direction or training. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the organization or institution that they may represent. The listeners are advised that the information contained in this podcast should be used in conjunction with professional medical training and best practice guidelines. The host and guests of this podcast take no responsibility for the actions or decisions of the listeners.